Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast with me, your host, Louise Rumble. And today I have two incredible co-hosts because this is an Open House Hotline episode where we get into your anonymous submissions through the website and we ask your favorite therapists all the things that you want to know. So today I've got with me Dr. Terry, clinical psychologist and relationship expert. And I've also got sex therapist and intimacy coach Massimo Fontana. So if you haven't already gone into the back catalogue, there are so many incredible, incredible episodes with these two wonderful individuals. And I'm so excited to get into today's topic, which is all about being the other. So today's question is about being the other woman. So this question is coming from a heteronormative standpoint, but as ever, we hope that wherever you sit on the spectrum of sexuality, that there will be valuable takeaways from today's episode. So this is the question. I've been someone's mistress for 8.5 years. How do you, as the other woman who has been promised the world, which has never, ever materialized, start to move through this and on from this? I have hung on and on with every hope that he will leave his wife that I've been promised. How did I get this brainwashed? Why does he have so much power over me? What type of man does this? And how on earth do I leave? So that is the question that we're getting into today. So I think like so many things that we talk about on the Open House podcast, the things that we're going to be talking about today are on a spectrum. You don't have to have just been someone else's mistress or, you know, the male figure in this situation to take value from this episode. Because I personally have been in situations when I have been the other woman but I've not been having an affair with the person. Even just the way that the man in the situation has maybe interacted with me has made me feel like I'm the other woman, even by him flirting with me or being inappropriate. So I think that in today's episode, there's going to be a ton of value for all kinds of people. So I always love just jumping in and asking the therapists, what are your initial thoughts on this question? Let's go. Well, first of all, hearing this question, it made me feel sad because eight and a half years of being promised something that never materialized is extremely painful. And I really hope that the woman who wrote this question is listening because I I want to help her understand how to get out of this situation and maybe what's kept her in it. This is eight and a half years of being promised the world there's so much pain that must be going on underneath this, so much disappointment. And for some reason, which we're going to get into today, there must be reasons that she thought that this was going to materialize and she was getting closer to it. And there was a reason for hanging on. And then just eight and a half years of constant disappointment, I think, is what really stood out for me is the is the duration of this experience. And that I think my first point is that it's okay to feel deeply heartbroken, confused, embarrassed, ashamed, so many emotions from this. Massimo, what are your thoughts? You must see a lot of this in practice as a sex therapist. Interestingly, I do. And, you know, reflecting back both of what you've said and and feeling the sadness for her, and I'm almost compelled to apologize for the bad behavior of the man involved in this. And, but one of the things that really sort of stand out for me is, is the usage of the word can't. Can't leave is really, she hasn't found anyone better who will equal what she's been receiving from this guy. Can't also suggests that she's gotten so used to the structure of this relationship that although deep down inside, she may want him for herself and is holding on to the hope that this, this is going to happen. 
but she also may find it quite convenient that she's the one that he's choosing over his wife. So in many respects, when I see relationships, we escape to our partner. And what this guy is doing is that he's escaping to her and he's escaping away from his partner. So of course, this is reinforcing a real belief system that she's very, very special in this man's life. I think the point about being special is something that I really want to get into today because I think that if someone has never been in a situation like this, they'd probably listen to that and scoff and think, how are you special? You know, you're the one that's not being chosen. But the reality is, and having been in a situation where it was never a full-blown affair, but receiving the attention from someone who is in a relationship, there is that element of feeling special of the power play, of being the one that he is choosing over his girlfriend, his wife, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that, you know, we'll get into my story later in this episode, but I think that that is a really interesting piece is the point of being chosen. You have been chosen for eight and a half years by this man, but you've been chosen and kept in the dark and you've been chosen and you've been misled and you've been chosen and you've been hidden. But we all deserve, and I've got goosebumps saying this, like we all deserve to be chosen in the light. We all deserve to be chosen and championed. We all deserve to be chosen and loved without being hidden. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think we have to ask ourselves, what does it really mean to be chosen? Because I think there is this allure of being this woman that is probably being compared to his wife, has been compared to his wife in a very favorable, special way. But like you said, she's hidden. She's, of course, being lied to. She's, of course, being manipulated just in the same way that he's lying to his wife. He's lying to her, too. For the woman who wrote us this letter, I want to help her understand the parts of her that probably need to be healed so that she isn't as susceptible to these feelings of being chosen, which lead her to fall for manipulation, right? Because someone with a strong sense of self, a strong sense of self-esteem and self-love would not want to be chosen by a man who is lying to another woman. And, you know, I think that's something that I just want to communicate to the woman who wrote this letter is you do deserve to be chosen, but ultimately you're not really being chosen in this situation. Let's talk about the psychology of the other. So in this situation, it's the other woman, but the psychology of the other, how does someone get in this situation? What are your thoughts? The other woman is almost always seen as taboo. And taboo also comes with a certain amount of sexual charge, specialness, uniqueness. So if I was going to break this down for her, he potentially seduced her. We can assume that. It was potentially based on sex in the initial stages. Sex then becomes, I now have feelings for this guy. And that's where she gets hooked into it. So she sees this man as suffering in the context of his relationship. And naturally, she's going to want to rescue or help him through that process. So she parks all of her experiences and all of her desires on the side because she sees that this guy is suffering and it's overshadowing hers. The other thing is, is that every single time that she steps away from him, she's naturally going to have a longing to, to experience that feeling of being heard, seen, experienced, sexually gratified. So it almost feeds into the fantasy even more of the desire for this guy. Now, 
The worrying side for me is, is the point of consent. She's accepted this behavior right from the onset and hasn't put all the boundaries in place and actually secured a really solid foundation for herself. He's always got that trump card to come back to and say, well, you accepted this from the beginning. So why are we changing this now? When you talk about consent, I do agree that she did consent to that in the beginning. She knew who was married. But at the same time, it does sound like he was promising her more right? So dangling this carrot, the whole relationship. And so, yes, there's consent. And I'm sure this guy is manipulative. He's been promising, I'm going to leave my wife. You're going to be the woman in my life. And probably never had any intention to do that. When we look at how do you end up in this situation, I think we go back to those things like somebody who is susceptible to that attention because of maybe low self-esteem, low self-worth, lack of sense of self, poor boundaries. This template where they've learned that they have to earn love and their worth comes from how well they give or care or love somebody else. And to some degree, we can all relate to that. There is no shame in that. These are things that we learn in childhood. And so this is just what I want to point out because I think it's relatable to so many people. What Dr. Terry has taught me about these models of love is as a child, we are taught that we are worthy of a certain amount of love. And then we take that into adulthood. So I think that's really interesting as well to understand that this is probably so deeply rooted in this woman. It is so deeply ingrained in her that she probably doesn't even have conscious awareness of it. What we learn in childhood about love is what we then reenact as adults until we become conscious of it. We've mentioned learning that we get love by earning it, by caretaking, by being pleasing to other people, by making sure they're feeling okay or they're approving of us. Those are certain things that some of us have learned. Other people have learned that love hurts. You can't let people get too close. That love is fickle, that it goes away quickly. And those are people that have abandonment wounds. There are different things that we learn about love and about what it means to be close to people. And most of us have never learned that we are innately worthy of love. This is really at the core of this episode and why this woman was attracted to this situation in the first place and why she still remains there. What I've learned before going to therapy is that any attention was good attention. It made me feel validated. It was those short-term dopamine hits. It made me feel like I could be loved. It made me feel like I was attractive. It made me feel like I was worthy. But since going to therapy and working on myself, the thought of a man or a woman treating me in that way, that is a low-value man or a low-value woman. And I don't want anything to do with you. I do not find you sexy. I do not find you attractive. Those are traits that I would not want in a partner. Say that we were to finally end up together. Who's to say that he is not going to do that to the next person? I hope this woman can see that she's being chosen, but she's being chosen by a low value man and she deserves so much better. And actually, one of the analogies that I learned in therapy, which I think is so relevant to this discussion, is the thimble analogy. If you are in a situation where you are being treated badly by someone, say you're with someone who won't commit to you, you have to imagine that your little child is stood in the desert with a thimble 
and they are desperately thirsty and they are looking for water and they get a bit of water, which is like a tiny bit of attention from someone. So in this situation, it will be the man gives her some attention and it fills up her thimble. She drinks from the thimble in that moment. Oh, I feel loved. I feel chosen. Straight away, the thimble is empty. He's gone. He goes back to his wife. The thimble is empty. So she's there. She's walking around. Where is he? He has to fill up the thimble because she has not yet learned to fill up the thimble herself. The most profound thing about this analogy is that during this visualization that I did, my therapist told me to turn around in the visualization. And behind me in the desert, there was a huge oasis of water, clean, pure, ready to jump in, swim in, drink, everything. And because I'd been staring at this thimble for so long and accepting small thimbles of love from men, I didn't realize that I was worthy of an ocean. I was worthy of an oasis. And I think that that here is what's happening with this woman. She doesn't realize she's worthy of the oasis, which is the true love, the pure love, the good love. Sex is not love. Now I'm a healthier individual that feels full up with love and self-awareness and self-reflection, I would look at this other person, the man, as being the depleted one. You know, how sad and empty you must be to be living this life. And I do not want that emptiness or that depletion anywhere near me. But don't get me wrong, when I was younger, I was depleted. I was desperate to be loved. I was sad. I was lonely. I was disconnected. So these carrots of attention, they filled me up but then they deplete you straight away again the next second. So I love that point about ultimately the therapy journey and life journey being about building ourselves up and filling ourselves up from the inside. Yeah. And I just want to add on here because what we're really talking about is supply and a core dynamic that's been going on in this relationship that this woman is mistaking for love is that she is a supply for him. Right. So and and he's been a supply for her, but essentially he uses her when he needs an escape from his marriage. And she has mistaken that for love. That is not love. And just like you said, sex is not love. Words are not love either. So whatever words he's been feeding her for the last eight and a half years, if his behavior is not reflective of that and consistent and matching of those words, it means nothing. And that is what I want people to hear is words are so easy and they can mean nothing. Oh, so, so important. And I also love what you said about supply, because I think we also can't overlook the fact that so much of this is biochemical. It is happening in your body in your head, you feel it. It's hard to control. It feels amazing. It's a roller coaster. Do you think that the chemicals play a part in this as well? I just love to talk about the feelings involved. You know, there must be positive ones that are driven by chemicals and neurotransmitters, but also negative ones. Positive feelings and chemicals are definitely at play, especially in the beginning of a relationship. So with lust, you know, there's increased levels of estrogen and testosterone, we move into attraction, there's high levels of dopamine and norepinephrine, and then the attachment, which is oxytocin, right? That bonding chemical that we feel with somebody. And of course, those things have been at play, are probably still at play because there is this intermittent reinforcement schedule also going on, which is the most addictive reinforcement schedule there is. And it's exactly what you're talking about with that thimble of water. If you think about a rat in a cage, right? So he pulls the lever, no pellet, 
He pulls the lever, no pellet. And the 10th time a pellet is delivered, he gets that rush of dopamine, of norepinephrine, right? And he becomes addicted to that. So he knows if I just wait long enough, if I just keep trying, something good is going to come. And that is definitely at play in this eight and a half year relationship. The other piece that we haven't mentioned is dependency. Her identity is probably very much fused with this relationship. There's a lot psychologically and chemically that is probably really keeping her tied in here. Couldn't agree more. Love in its presence and in its absence always alters biochemistry within our body. So the concept of love is so deeply ingrained in our ancestral logic that all of us at some point have wanted to be in love or want to be in love. So here you have a person who has found those moments of warmth, connection, openness with this other person, whether that's right or wrong, but this has energized her whole system into motion. So he could have been one of the very few men that has actually ever made her feel alive. And like what Dr. Terry was saying before about intermittent reinforcement, any time with him, any attention, she lives for that. And now that's become one of the sole purposes that gets her up in the morning because she's experienced everything like that. I think that ties into the point of just because it feels good doesn't mean it's going to be good. And it's something that we talk about all the time is that something can feel amazing. It can be incredible when he or she messages you, calls you, you see their name pop up, you get that rush of adrenaline, you get turned on thinking about what happened before, what's going to happen next. You've been chosen in that moment. I don't doubt that the sex and the intimacy is amazing. That's going to be a huge part, I imagine, of what is keeping her around for eight and a half years. Because if the sex and intimacy wasn't incredible, then really she's been staying around for low-level intermittent attention. But the reality is when you get in something like this, you're in it. You're overwhelmed by the emotions. You're overwhelmed by the attention. You're overwhelmed by the sex and the pleasure it's really hard to step outside of it and to be like, hey, this is a really fucked up situation. Because <laughs> I'm sure that sometimes she will have moments where she can step out of this and be like, hey, this is a really fucked up situation. But I think that that, and we're going to come into how she gets out of this. But for me, how to get out of something like this is distance. I mean, on, on the subject of chemicals that are flooding through the body, you just highlighted it perfectly there, that she is being flooded with so much that it's actually creating confusion for her. So if you're thinking about it from a different perspective that we can call that stress for a moment, her whole body is stressed to the max. And it has to come back to some kind of neutral state so that she understands what healthiness feels like again. And then being able to decide, actually, is this enjoyable experience? Is this actually healthy pleasure that I'm experiencing? I can't imagine how confusing this must be to be able to, in some moments, rationally see the truth, but in so many other moments, be lost in the hope and the fantasy and all of these things, the ups and the downs. And I think that is where it brings us back to this question that, you know, our hearts go out to this woman. Eight and a half years of being in this situation is is no mean feat. And I feel like I need to give her a cuddle. Like I, I feel like I can even see her little inner child just wanting to be loved, wanting to be chosen. And the belief that you're not worthy of being the one in the light, the belief that maybe one day he or she would give you everything and you will become that main player. I also think outside of the sadness for this situation, there's some harder truths. The first one, power play. 
This is something that I experienced with my own story, which I haven't shared yet. I'll give us just a little brief overview. It's not a deeply exciting or profound situation, but I think it's something that many can relate to, which is that I was dating a guy. I really, really liked him. There was probably some level of attachment hunger going on there. I connected way too quickly to him. He decided that he didn't want to date me anymore and he chose another woman. I remember to this day, he sat me down in his living room and he basically said, I've met someone else. Now, as a 19-year-old, I was like so distraught and I'd also was going through a lot of trauma at the time and it was just a whole load of shit, if I'm honest. Anyway, I then watched this man build a relationship with this woman, fall in love with this woman. But intermittently, when he was drunk, he would message me. He would call me to show up at my house. And as an 18-year-old, this man, this was the man that I wanted to be with. So yes, when he came back and gave me that attention, there was an element of power play there. Maybe I can make him choose me. Maybe he's actually not as happy in his relationship as he thinks that he is. And this went on for a while until in the end, I went through all the things we've spoken about in today's episode. And I was like, I don't want to be the other woman. Like, that's gross. Like, you're disgusting. Like, I don't want to be in this. But honestly, and this is really fucked up, to this day... When I think about them being married, there is still some unhealthy part of me that kicks in and it's like, yeah, well, you know, you, you still wanted me when, when you were dating her. It's really fucked up. Like, I'm not proud of this. I'm just sharing the story so people understand that if they're in the situation as the other, that they're not alone. I still get a kick out of it. Like, you married her but you wanted me in those late night moments. That's really unhealthy. I can admit that is so fucked up. I'm not proud of that. Like I I can't even believe that I'm sharing this. But the first thing that I want to talk about is power play. How does this power play tie into the other? And is there only an element of power play if there is some level of you that is deeply unhealthy? Well, I'll tackle that one. I don't know exactly the answer to that, but I do know that what you're talking about is human nature. Like we've talked about before, somebody who is still in the process of coming into their own fullness, coming into their knowledge of their own deep and innate self-worth is going to be gratified by this type of attention of being chosen by somebody who is being unfaithful to somebody else, who is being disrespectful to somebody else. And listen, we're all in this process of continuing to grow and expand and come into our own healthy alignment. So do we have to be deeply unhealthy to feel that way? Maybe not. It does point to a part of us that needs to be loved and healed and shined a light on. It's exactly what we've talked about earlier in this episode, which is, you know, mistaking that attention for something else because it really is just attention. It's about somebody getting their short-term needs met through you. And we attach meaning to that, which has something to do with our own sense of who we are and our own psychology. I also want to clarify that, you know, as I've got healthier and I look back on that situation, I don't feel that power play piece like I used to. I actually feel like a real level of like immense guilt towards the other woman, which I think is something we haven't even spoken about, the allegiance or the betrayal of the other woman. I feel deep guilt to her. I feel like you didn't deserve that. I never would want to do, I would never do that to someone today. Oh my God, I would never do that. So I feel immense guilt at the situation. I feel immense sadness for myself 
that I was in that situation and taking such small doses of attention, thinking that it was something bigger. So I feel sad for her. I feel sad for me. I feel guilty about the situation. That's the overwhelmingly strong emotions that I'm led with uh, when I look back on that situation today. I think first off, it's incredibly brave to speak your truth that you've experienced in your life. And I don't think anyone has the right to judge us for the choices that we've made based on needing a lifetime to learn what it means to actually step into integrity. I don't think we're born integrous. And this is something that I think happens over a period of time as we're developing, growing and bumping our heads. And in answer to your question in the beginning, I think all of us equally have a great deal of narcissistic characteristics as well. And that kind of power trip does feed into that. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's the question of how you act on that truth. I don't think all truths need to be acted on. Whereas if you can acknowledge, actually, this is something that I get a kick out of, right? It's more in alignment with yourself to acknowledge, actually, I do have these other sides to myself, as we all do, but how do I bracket them? So it's it's really, for me, meeting our darker side, which I don't think a lot of people actually do work on. So your shadow side, your dark side, whichever way you want to call it. and bringing it back to this woman in question, I wonder if she has actually stepped into that space as well and worked on the darker side of things that that really are keeping her stuck in this. And that ties perfectly into my second point, which is that Dr. Terry talks often about the concept of emotional unavailability. And part of me wonders, is that dark side for her that she is actually deeply emotionally unavailable? Because that's why she's tolerating a relationship that is also emotionally unavailable. If this man was to turn around tomorrow and say, this is it, I've left my wife, it's you and me now, I'm sure she would think that that's all she ever wants because it's all she thinks she's been waiting for for eight and a half years. But devil's advocate, I would be interested to see what happens when the emotional availability of the situation comes to light. So before we move into him, because we haven't even spoken about him and he really should have been at the beginning of this episode because he's the big fucker in this whole situation. But before we move on to him, do you think that that emotional unavailability point maybe ties into the dark space that Massimo is talking about? Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about how if we continue to attract emotionally unavailable people, it's because there's some part of us that is emotionally unavailable, which means we shy away from vulnerability. We shy away from authenticity. We don't yet know our full selves, so we can't express our full selves. We have trouble being honest with ourselves and other people. And I would imagine that that is definitely at play. And like you said, if he did leave his wife and these two got together, who knows what would happen? Because I don't think this man would be emotionally available, even if he did leave his wife. But there's a reason that this relationship has worked for her. Massimo, what do you think? I agree with you. It sounds almost like there's there's a dynamic of a, a bit of a father wound going on here. And I do question whether she's actually stepped into that space to understand what masculine love feels like. What is it actually meant to be in the space of a very mature and healthy masculine and contained in that space? That's probably where I would give a little bit of a a nudge and say, try and look at that. Yeah, this is not healthy masculine energy. This is not the healthy masculine. This is the deeply wounded masculine. And if she's never experienced the healthy masculine, query, what was the relationship like with her 
father? How did that develop? So much to go into there. But if you've never experienced that healthy, loving, kind, caring, compassionate masculine in your life as a child, then yeah, you're not going to know what that is or how to handle it. So you stick with what you know, which is a big part of Dr. Terry's concept of unconscious attraction. And I love Massimo that you brought up this concept of the healthy masculine versus the toxic masculine, because I think this is the perfect segue to move into the final section of the episode and talk to this part of the question, which is what kind of man or woman does this? This was part of this woman's question is, how could he do this to me? What kind of person does this? And I would love both of your thoughts on that. And I think that the first point is, this is the wounded masculine, but I think that it also goes deeper into personality traits and, you know, so much more. Yeah. And we've spoke about this on a different episode about the cheater and the serial cheater and what kind of characteristics and personality traits they encompass. And of course, we need to separate between people who can do this over a long period of time and maybe somebody who, you know, it's a one-time thing and they learn from it. But somebody who can be in a relationship and lying to his wife for eight and a half years probably would fall into a category, if not a full-blown personality disorder like narcissism or sociopathy. So, you know, the main features of somebody with these characterological attributes would be dishonesty, lying, lack of empathy, impulsiveness, poor boundaries. I mean, to be able to keep these two women in the dark in the way that he's doing points to some real psychopathology, extremely manipulative, not honest, not truthful, twists the truth, twists reality to keep her in it, to keep her feeling like it's about to happen. Massimo, what do you think? I agree with everything that you said there. And you have to be quite, but I would probably say more on the narcissistic spectrum to be able to, to, to manage something like this for such a long period of time. And I guess all those characteristics are very prevalent in both men and women uh, who have these kinds of affairs. I think for me, what I find quite interesting is there's a different subsect of the population where either men or women feel trapped in their relationship and what starts off as maybe just a simple one moment of lust actually opens up the person to their truth for the first time and that they can truly express who they are in that moment. Here, as an example, she might have had that experience and shared this amazing moment with this man and equally he did with her. I've had a lot of cases where both parties are completely aware of each other's circumstances. And the truth that's attached to this is that here you actually have two people who might actually be very much in love with one another. But either or both are in a situation that they don't want to hurt their significant other. And I know this sounds almost counterintuitive and we naturally sort of jump onto this guy must have something wrong with him. There's a narcissistic trait here, but it's a very juvenile side of us as well when we're in a relationship of not wanting to hurt our primary partner that we with. They don't want to hurt their significant other. And I'm pretty sure this is something that's happened here as well, where she has confronted him. Maybe she's left him for a period of time, but he's coerced her back in. But it's still one person is very much in love with the other. And it's very sad that carries on. It's we haven't been strict enough and stringent enough with ourselves to say, okay, that's it. I need to walk away, regardless of the pain and heartache. I think that's such an important point that maybe we haven't touched upon as well, which is that you can be deeply, deeply in love in these situations, or you can feel like you're deeply, deeply in love. Because I would query, is real love this? 
But I think we also don't want to undermine the fact that this woman probably does think she's deeply in love with this man. And we're holding space for that nuance in this discussion. I think we have to be quite clear in terms of what real love needs to be for us. I think we do have a choice in that as well. And I think real love can be something that is incredibly clean and easy. It doesn't have to be so complicated. So, you know, I wish we had more time and I know that one day soon, hopefully we will be able to have hours and hours and hours and hours to get into every psychological topic and human challenge on the planet. But for today, I'd love to just wrap up with where does this woman go from here? Where does the other go from here? And this could be a whole episode in itself, but I was just wondering if you both had key takeaway points, if this woman was your client, what you would be advising on what her next steps should be. Yeah, if this woman were my client, if I could be completely honest with her, I would tell her that, you know, obviously she's asking this question and she needs to get out of this relationship because it is very unhealthy for her. She's not feeling happy. She's not feeling peaceful. And I think the most important thing would be for her to find a therapist that could help her understand what makes her susceptible to this situation, what fears are keeping her here, what needs to heal so that she can escape. I would say cutting off contact is the most important. And I would guess that this man is not going to let her go. This man is focused on his own needs. It's very clear after eight and a half years, he's focused on getting what he wants. So does he care about her being happy and healthy, even if it means not being with him? I doubt it. Be ready for him to manipulate, to try to get her to come back, for her to develop a support system along with her therapist. So when she feels weak and vulnerable and she wants to text him or go back to him, she does something different. And just to tell her that there is more for her. You know, this is all she's known for eight and a half years, but there is a whole new level of health and joy and peace that she has not yet experienced, even before she entered into this relationship, I'm guessing. So those would be the points that I would want her to hear. I think those are amazing points. Uh, the, the one thing that I would reinforce about the therapy is the consistency in therapy. And the advice that I would give is, is that if you can place repulsive feelings onto this human being and really make it a ritualistic practice that you're meditating on how repulsed you feel by this human being, that in itself will create enough distance where you can look at the situation and instead of saying, I've wasted eight and a half years of my life, Instead, I'm so grateful that I've learned so much about myself that this is not the man that I want to have in my life. This is not the man that values me. This is not the man that is going to help me shine as the woman that I need to be. And that's when you can look at the situation and be very, very kind to it and yourself, specifically yourself and not crucify yourself and walk away and go, I will never step back into this space because number one, I'm super disgusted with this kind of human being. But then I'm also very grateful that this has happened to me, that I can be free of this. Yeah, I think that's the perfect place to end this episode today is that like with everything that we ever say, relationships are just vehicles to show us into our childhoods, to show us into our teenagers, to work out who we are and why we are this way. And I think that when this woman is finally able to leave this behind, I would hope that this woman can look back and say, yes, this lasted for far too long. But ultimately, this was a situation for me to look deeper into myself and ask, how did I get here? How did I end up here? And how did I not leave sooner? So I think that is very important. And I think my other takeaways from 
today's episode is that, yes, you know, we're not negating from the fact that any sort of affair or being the other can be a deeply meaningful, highly charged sexual and even loving experience. But ultimately, we have a choice in what we accept as love and what we nurture as love. And it's such a basic, basic thing. But it takes two people who want to be together to make that happen. I think my other key takeaways from today is that sex is not love and attention is not intention. And I also think that without deeply generalizing, what I've seen on my journey is that any man cheating on their partner is a low value man who is a wounded man who is in their wounded masculine. But you also need to look at you. Where are your wounds? What wounds are driving you to accept this? What wounds are making you think that, yeah, this is love. This feels good. And you also need to ask, what makes you susceptible to this situation? It ties back to the unconscious attraction. It ties back to the models of love. So yeah, I think for anyone that's in this situation, if you are accepting a love source outside of you that is toxic, I think it maybe shows that you haven't experienced healthy love. And that really is an opportunity there to look into that and work out, how can I move towards healthy love, no matter how uncomfortable that feels? So thank you. So much value in today's episode. And really, I think our hearts just go out to this woman, to anyone else that's in this situation. You are worthy of a love that shines you in the light. You are worthy of being championed and loved for all you are without being held and hidden in the dark as the other. So thank you to everyone listening. If you found this helpful or you know someone that might be in this situation as the other man or woman, please do send this over. And other than that, thank you both. Terry and Massimo for everything you've brought to this episode and I will see you both next episode. Thank you so much, Louise. Thanks, Louise. Thanks, Massimo. Bye.